from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. West Virginia University, a land-grant, space-grant, R1 research institution. Learn more at wvu.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston on the 30th day of this 60-day legislative session. I'm Suzanne Higgins. Tonight we continue our discussion on West Virginia's Children in Crisis. We'll be joined by members of the newly formed Public Health Caucus later in the program. Also, West Virginia veterans were honored here today. That story also coming up. But first, I'm joined by reporters Emily Allen and Brittany Patterson. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Emily, let's start with you. West Virginia's medical cannabis program and a related medical can cannabis bill were the subjects of discussion and a vote this morning in the House. Yeah, we keep hearing about this medical cannabis. There's so much legislation to do with it, and it's largely, um, you know, the Democrats will bring it up in common. So today was the second time that Delegate Mick Bates, a Democrat from Raleigh County, um, suggested that the full House of Delegates vote to discharge a bill from its first committee reference. So that means to move it from the first reference to the next committee or to the House. Um, and this is kind of something that delegates have been proposing in the House to sort of speed up the process if their bill has too many references or um, if they're not confident that it'll ever make it to the floor for a vote. So today, Bates did not propose doing that with a bill of his own or a bill of his colleagues. He proposed doing it with a bill from Delegate Joshua Higginbottom from Putnam County dealing with medical cannabis. Um, in a second, you're about to hear a, a clip from Mick Bates. Actually, yeah, can we roll the clip from Mick, Mick Bates and Delegate uh, Mike Caputo from Marion County? The gentleman's bill does three simple things. It expands by two the number of serious conditions for which cannabis can be prescribed. It provides for rulemaking authority to the Medical Cannabis Board to allow the use of a medicine in its preferred and most effective form, inhalation and ingestion. And finally, it allows and provides protections to those individuals that visit our state with a valid medical cannabis card from arrest for the possession of medicine. Three things I think the majority of us in here would support if given the opportunity to do so. Three things that are needed for a functional medical cannabis program and that over 80% of the filled prescriptions are for in our neighboring state of Ohio. Without these three things, our medical cannabis program, when it does come online over a year from now, will fail and we'll have to answer to our constituents for that. And we're not putting West Virginians first. When we can't get a bill that passed three years ago up and running, and when we try to perfect that bill on the floor, we get shut down every time. It's not about gamesmanship. It's about helping people. We all come down here to try to help people. What happened there? 
So what happened is um, they voted twice. You know, um, they voted at the beginning, like, let's see if we can discharge it. Um, the vote failed 54 to 44. They agreed to table it or to not discharge it. Then at the end, Delegate McBates asked again if they would untable the motion to discharge it. And the vote kind of ensued the same way. I think one delegate returned. Um, but you know, kind of the point of all this, this medical cannabis talk is a few years ago in 2017, the West Virginia legislature passed a bill creating the medical cannabis act to create a, a program. Um, I think just until December, the DHHR, you know, the office they've kind of created there to facilitate this program was just, you know, just wrapping up accepting applicants for growers. Um, so it, it's not something that's going to be up and running soon. And this bill at least was to kind of add a, a little bit more um, to the program so that when it opens up, it's not exclusive. Thanks, Emily. Uh, Brittany, some updates on environmental and energy related uh, issues. First, there was a rally on the Clean Bill Act that is now trying to make its, through, uh, make its way through the system. Tell us about that. Yeah, so there was a press conference today held by Democrats, um, Evan Hansen, delegate from Mon County, and um, William Elenfeld, a senator, and both of them have sponsored the Clean Drinking Water Act of 2020. And this bill would basically require the state to um, examine the extent of PFAS contamination. You might be familiar with those chemicals, uh, PFOA or C8, that DuPont used and dumped for years in the Ohio River. That's one of those chemicals. And so this bill, if it were to pass, would not only sort of measure how much of this contamination there is around the entire state of West Virginia, it would also require companies or facilities that use it to notify officials and monitor for it. And eventually it would require the state, state regulators to put together uh, drinking water standards to help um, sort of regulate these chemicals because on a federal level, action has been very slow on this, ma on this matter. And, and so where is the bill now? Is it getting traction through the committee process system? So part of this press conference was to drum up support for the bill. Um, neither the House bill nor the Senate version of the bill have made it onto a committee agenda yet, but they're hopeful that we might be able to get there. Okay, and a second uh, bill that we wanted an update on is the solar panel expansion bill. This is a bipartisan supported bill, one in the House, one in the Senate. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, this utility solar bill has been wild. Um, it had two hearings in the House Energy Committee, one hearing, and now two hearings in the Senate Energy Committee. And basically what the bill would do is expand solar development in West Virginia through the utilities. So both First Energy and American Electric Power would each be able to build up to 200 megawatts of solar in 50 megawatt increments. Um, and concurrently recover their costs through ratepayers. Um, it is bipartisan, it does have support and leadership, especially in the House. And what we saw today was um, the Senate version of that bill, Senate Bill 583. We saw that bill move out of House Energy, or out of Senate Energy, excuse me. And um, we saw House Energy decide to just sort of let that bill die and they're gonna run the Senate version through. So not dead, just gonna move through the Senate first. Terrific, thank you both so much, reporters Emily Allen and Brittany Patterson. Thank you for being here. It was Veterans Visibility Day here at the Capitol. Randy Yoey captured the message of visiting veterans. We have asked as a nation, many of these men and women to serve in conflicts that 
they didn't ask for. A veteran himself, Senator Ryan Weld from Brook County was one of many here at the Capitol honoring men and women of all ages, from all over, from all branches of service. Veterans making a difference, like Morgan Casey. This Navy veteran and WVU student now works with other Mountaineer vets, helping those who served transition into the college way of life. When they get out of the military, if they're not really sure what they want to do, but they get to school, that's kind of how our organization helps them. Um, there's other veterans just basically helping veterans. We help them with benefits, um, any education information that they need, getting enrolled in the VA, anything like that. Former Army Ranger from Wyoming County, William Elkins, now leads the Disabled American Veterans Driving Program. DAV vans and drivers, helping get vets to and from the state's VA hospitals. Now that is all volunteer basis, so if there's anybody out there that wants to get back to the veteran community, all they have to do is go to their local VA hospital, they'll sign them up right there, they'll do a physical and everything, and they'll be able to help the veterans that really need it out there. Veterans Cabinet Secretary Dennis Davis voiced concerns about work certification and occupational licensing. The secretary says business owners and the legislature need to understand that vets trained in the military should not have to come home and be retrained in the same discipline. If we trained you as a uh, LPN or a heating and cooling individual uh, in the military, you as a taxpayer paid for that training. You as a taxpayer have already paid for that once. So you shouldn't have to come back and have the same training a second time. Secretary Davis takes great pride in these new informational pamphlets and great pride in the long overdue update of the department's website and Facebook page. We believe in the printed word, but a lot of people get their uh, information through Facebook, as you said, uh, on websites and other, other means, Twitter, whatever the case might be. And so we're converting a lot of our information to those platforms. What stood out most today? A hail of handshakes, with all sincerely saying, Thank you for your service. I'm Randy Yoey for the Legislature Today. Next, continued focus on our child welfare crisis. The governor's budget calls for a $6 million expansion to the Community and Schools program, which provides services and schools to address the negative impacts of traumatic childhood experiences. These may include poverty, family death, divorce, drug abuse and physical abuse. We'll discuss those larger issues and efforts to address them in a moment. But first, Glynis Board reports from Wyoming County, a recent recipient of Community and Schools funding. Community and Schools program addresses the emotional impact of conditions that puts kids' abilities to learn and stay in school at risk. It creates positions in schools separate from counselors, teachers or staff, someone in school who can focus entirely on building one-on-one -on -one relationships with students. Here in Wyoming County, a state grant of $960,000 is making the expansion of the community and schools program possible. That pays for eight full-time coordinators, some transportation costs, supplies over a two-year period. John Henry is Director of Student Services and Attendance in Wyoming County. He oversees the program. Communities and schools allows us an opportunity to have one person in every, all eight of those schools that can focus just on taking down barriers that would not allow students to be in school. Facilitator in a school across the county, Vicki Williams, says she was able to rally a team of support within the school and the community to help one student in particular. 
This is one of my students. His name is Nathan Milam. He is a senior. At first, just meeting him, it was just, you know, just basic. How are you? How's your family? But then the further we got to know each other and our relationship we were building, Nathan, coming to find out, was homeless. Well, my mom became addicted to drugs and then she kicked me out when I was 17 on Mother's Day. And his father was disabled from the coal mines and um, the family just sort of dissolved from there. I wasn't in interested in coming because there's no point in going to school if you can't think about your assignments because when you get home, you're worried about where you're gonna go, where you're gonna sleep, what are you gonna do? I was by myself for so long that I didn't realize that how many people really cared. We started working on getting him a place to live and we got his learners, we got his electricity, his power. He's thriving. Milan joins some 10,000 kids who were identified as homeless for the 2018-2019 school year. According to West Virginia's Department of Education, that's up 17% since the 2014-15 school year. We work one-on-one -on -one with any student that has any need. It can be from academics to uh, maybe a basic need like food or clothing. I'm not their disciplinarian. I'm not their teacher, but I'm just their friend that will help them through whatever they're going through. Kathy Brunty is one of the community and schools facilitators in Wyoming County. Like all the program's facilitators, Brunty is a longtime member of the community herself. So is Charisma West. West believes the program provides a missing puzzle piece to the public school system. I think here we have such a poverty mindset and we live in an oppressed ideology. So we have to try to look at things and say, let's not focus on that. That's the problem. Let's focus on how we can come above that. At Westside High School, one way students and communities are working together is through what they call a blessings box, a metal cabinet fixed to a post alongside the high school's parking lot. Molly Cook is a high school senior and president of student council. She and her peers see to it that the box is filled every other day. We fill it up with your everyday necessities, feminine products, and if you need something, we have put non-perishable items into it, and we're putting um, shampoo and conditioner, body wash, deodorant, and toothpaste. We fill it up once every other day, and everything goes quick. Hope is a, a rare commodity where we're at sometimes, because um, just culturally, dynamics, demographics, it's not always been easy to be hopeful in what feels like a hopeless situation. And so our kids are finding hope. Many of the facilitators also used to be teachers, like Kendra Sparks. I think it's needed throughout our entire state because the first month as our reports came in for the month of September, I sat in front of the computer screen um, with tears going down my face crying because I never knew the needs it was really within my own county, and I think that there's several counties within our, you know, that all the counties within our state, people don't really see it behind closed doors. A lot of times we don't think that those situations exist around us, even though we might know that, that but when we see them firsthand, you really understand the need for this program. Joining me now are Dr. Katherine Slemp, Commissioner of the West Virginia Bureau for Public Health. She's also State Health Officer. And Mr. Jim McKay, President of Present 
Prevent Child Abuse West Virginia. Thank you both for being here this evening. We appreciate that. Thanks again. Now, these experiences, these childhood experiences that we saw that the Community and Schools Program is trying to mitigate um, poverty, hunger, divorce, abandonment, as we saw that young man um, dealing with. Um, these are referred to as adverse childhood experiences, ACEs for short. Mm -hmm. This was the topic of a discussion with the newly formed bipartisan Public Health Caucus, of which you, Dr. Slump, have been uh, facilitating. Mr. McKay, you are one of many organizations, providers, and certainly lawmakers on both sides of the aisle that have been coming to these Wednesday morning meetings. ACEs, Dr. Slemp, was the subject of the discussion yesterday. Frame the urgency about uh, this situation on West Virginia's children. Absolutely. You know, when folks are dealing with stressful situations, um, it really is hard to create the kinds of environments that really nurture and grow children um, so that they can really thrive. Um, and kids pick up on, on the stress in the family, whether it is substance use or um, the economic instability or um, separation and of parents and violence in the home, all these things they picked up on when children um, are, especially when they're having their brain develop. And so those, those stresses can really change um, their, their development, their brain, um, the, their connections um, when they're not feeling safe and secure in an environment. Um, and so that actually increases risk over time of many um, difficult things. And we know that West Virginia's children uh, experience these ACEs at a much higher rate. Well, we know that about um, one in four West Virginia adults, at least, um, have had three or more of these events. Um, and that probably, if, if you look at um, lower, um, if you have an income of less than 15,000, it's even higher, one in three. But the good thing to think about is these are things that can be prevented and are addressable. And so there's a lot of work that's underway that really is about both preventing ACEs up front and reducing the impacts. And, and so this is what was coming up in the Public Health Caucus. Wonderful. And this is what we want to get to right away. Uh, Mr. McKay, we'll start with you and I'll, we'll go back and forth and, sure. and, and try to get um, some feedback from the both of you. These approaches and strategies in preventing ACEs in the first place, the, the first and probably a foundation is economic support of families. Speak to that briefly. Absolutely. Absolutely. We know that you know, while there are substantial challenges of adverse childhood experiences, there are concrete things that, we, that research shows make a difference, both to buffer against the impact of them and to prevent them in the first place. Uh, having economic security, uh, adequate income, housing, um, food security, access to health insurance, all of these that, that help provide a, a strong beginning in our, in our lives make a profound difference. So programs like paid family medical, uh, medical and family leave um, when a child is born is shown that when jurisdictions have that, there's a reduction in shaken baby and other adverse childhood experiences. And so the more we can promote economic security, the better we're gonna have health outcomes along with it. And that is a bill that's uh, that's actually making its way through the committee, uh, a 12-week paid leave for, for West Virginians, I believe PEIA members. Go ahead, Dr. Slump. Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, that kind of brings up the topic that, that this is something we could all address. There's policy at, at the level of the legislature. Um, employers, how do they do things like paid maternity leave? 
um, flexible schedules so that parents can be home with their families um, when they need to. Um, how do how do they um, how do families how do you have regular work schedules so you're not changing hours of work all the time, which makes one really tired and stressed. Um, so I think there's lots that people can do, whether it be the employer, whether it be the legislature, whether it be individuals and communities. Um, some of the, the other strategies that you brought out in the meeting yesterday, promoting social norms, teaching parenting skills, early visitation in the home, connecting youths to adults who are responsible, healthy activities, primary care, which screens for these ACEs. Speak to, the, speak to that larger, uh, well-known and, and evidence-based approaches. You know, um, in the end of the day, it's really about connections. Um, we, do, we do better when we have social supports and connections with others in our communities. So um, it, things like connecting with a, a caring adult and children, we know that makes an incredible difference. Um, so the programs and communities that um, provide after-school connections or um, youth leagues, um, can make church youth groups can make an enormous difference. So those kind of things that build connections between people are really critical. But then also it's building skills. Mm -hmm. So it's the coping skills that um, parents have or that youth have. How do you deal with violence? How do you deal with stress in your community? How do you deal with stress when you're feeling um, emotionally um, upset about something? So those skills developments can be really important. Uh, Mr. McKay, your group, uh, Prevent Child Abuse, uh, the West Virginia chapter, uh, this is a, a national organization. You're just one of many um, uh, of a coalition of people that are participating in the public health uh, caucus. Uh, what I heard yesterday was uh, you know, people asking for a statewide strategy, a plan. Talk about that need. We, we've uh, done a good job of kind of building awareness about adverse childhood experiences and even their impact, but people are asking, now what? What are we going to do about it? And so we're pleased to have some training available that builds on the connections, and there's a, a rigorous uh, training called Connections Matter from Iowa that we've adopted, have trainers in West Virginia available to, to help primary care settings and schools. Uh, there's uh, proposals to expand trauma-informed education in schools. We saw the community in schools approach uh, highlighted earlier. Those types of programs, both informal or both formal programs through schools and home visiting programs and healthcare centers, but also the informal supports through congregations, through youth sports and so forth. How we build this um, social capital with each other, but it's going to take intentional work that's not just up to an individual to say, well, I've got a high ACE score, what am I gonna do about it? It's up to all of us. We know that West Virginians care for, for each other. We want our children to grow up healthy, strong, and ready to learn, but it takes um, all of us working together to make that happen. So when we have the quality home visiting programs more widely available, we have access to health insurance so that you can get uh, benefits uh, and all the economic security and the, these pieces coming together across the social ecology model and that's the ne the nexus of public health that just like we don't wait till you have the flu before we encourage you to take precaution get a flu shot we also want to have a population approach to childhood adversity and create these conditions so that families can thrive 
And we really build on that. Um, you know, DHHR, there's other programs that complement those, and we need to be able to realign them. So we do lots of home visitation programs with, with young um, families. Um, we do, um, there's expanded school mental health initiatives that really look at the school environment. Um, and for every child, not waiting till there's a, there's a challenge um, down the road. And so I think, um, as Jim said, it really is about connecting how do we do this together and aligning our efforts and thinking about it as a society, not simply as individuals. And, and how does that get done? I mean, a, a lot of the members that were at that uh, meeting yesterday morning were doing wonderful things individually, uh, pediatricians' offices, um, local, you know, local communities, churches. Yeah. Well, I think Please. you. I think at several levels. You know, I think you raise awareness, but then you have to move to action. And so I think at the community level, many of these things have to happen at the community level. So it is about putting people together in a community to coordinate efforts, to develop local plans, to connect. Um, and then you have to, at the state level, um, build coalitions like the Western Aces Coalition that bring people together so we share what we're each doing, to align efforts, that we synergize the work that we do, and that we have to commit to the long run. Mm. This is not change that happens overnight. So we really have to make sure that we see this as an ongoing effort. All right, uh, Mr. McKay, we're going to give you the, the final word. If there's a particular bill that you really want to speak to sure. very briefly. Well, we're very excited. There's some good bills moving. Uh, Senate Bill uh, 590 would expand, and uh, House Version 4649 would expand trauma-informed schools. Uh, there's several foster care, child welfare bills moving uh, that would help mitigate against the impact of trauma for children who have, have gone through it. Certainly paid leave, as we mentioned, for public employees. That passed out of House Judiciary this morning, 4189. There's also a bill, uh, 4385, that would expand that for all employees with a, a shared expense. So employees would contribute, employers would contribute, and then when we have that, employees are not put in the position where they have to choose between a job and caring for their child or their loved one. That makes a big difference. Thank you so much, Dr. Katherine Slemp, Commissioner of the West Virginia Bureau for Public Health, and Mr. Jim McKay, President of Prevent Child Abuse West Virginia. Thank you both for being here tonight. Thank, Thank you. you. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, a wrap-up of the week here at the Capitol and a look ahead to what's on the calendar next week. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a good evening. <laughs>